I want to talk to you tonight, get started on this tonight. I don't know how far I'll actually get into it, but uh, I want to talk to you about how far does the blood go? How far does blood go? How far does the blood of Jesus really go? I mean, come on. Does it really do everything that the Word says it'll do? Well, absolutely. But what does that mean to me today in my day I live? First of all, we've got to settle this thing. And uh, before we read much further... Let's understand this. The blood is alive. The blood is alive. In fact, it's not in Hebrews 9. It's over in chapter 12. Let me just tag base and then I'll talk about that in a minute. Then we'll go back to where I originally was going to start in Hebrews 9. But Hebrews 12 says this, verse 22. Because you need to know the blood is alive. And I, I want to say something about that. But you are come, verse 22, Hebrews 12, 22. You are come... That's the body of Christ unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, there's just so much in this passage, but just one thought stands out right now. If the blood is speaking, it must be alive. <laughs> I mean, dead men don't speak. <laughs> dead things don't talk. Now, without saying too much, because there's a lot in this in chapter 12, I'll just mention this comment. It's alive because it's still speaking. And, of course, it's speaking of God's mercy in our day. It's speaking better things than that of Abel because he used Abel because back in the beginning in Genesis when Cain slew Abel, Abel's blood cried out of the ground for vengeance. There was a voice in it. See, blood has a sounds. But here we're talking specifically, and I don't want to get you off in that too far, but the blood of Jesus and that blood, his blood still speaks. It's on the heavenly mercy seat in heaven and it's crying out for mercy. It's crying out new birth. It's crying out filled with the Holy Ghost. It's crying out healing. It's crying out redemption. It's crying out deliverance. It's crying out provision. It's crying out prosperity. Everything in this new covenant is made alive to us today in the earth because the blood there is speaking. And it's speaking the same things that the New Testament has written in your Bible. They're in agreement. The reason your Bible would mean anything, it wouldn't mean anything more than another book with, with fancy gold letters like the Torah or the Koran or whatever, you know, whatever book's going now, uh, you know, and the fancy book down at the bookstore. But this book is impregnated with life because of the Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus that's ratified or made alive this new covenant. This new covenant would have no authority without blood. And it's the blood of Jesus that makes it real. It's the blood of Jesus that makes it alive. I mean, you, you couldn't act on the new covenant and it do anything for you without the blood. When you got born again, it's only because the blood has activated this new covenant. And this new covenant says if any man will, will, is in Christ, then he or she will become a new creature. Actually, the Greek says a new creation. We've been studying that in redemption. Tonight I'm talking mainly about the blood of Jesus. 
So the blood is alive. That's why I said, you know, we need to know that, that the blood is alive now. It's, it's alive now. It's a living force. It's a powerful force. I mean, when, when, you, when we plead the blood on the earth, I don't get ahead of myself. When I speak something, the word of God in the earth because of the blood that's alive in heaven, that causes that to be activated in down here when I have faith in it. Of course, we're going to look at some other scriptures in a minute about faith in the blood. We're not talking about just some kind of theory here or some kind of uh, a theological point of view. We're talking about a reality that the blood of Jesus is alive. Now, some of you have heard of Lester Summerall. He's in heaven now. I'd met him a couple times. I'd had him lay hands on me once or twice. And I, I met the man. He's a wonderful apostle of God. He went home to be with the Lord just a few years ago. We'd scheduled to have him here speaking and he went to heaven the week before. And I, you know, I can't go back and redo that. I'd like to, but I can't. I waited too long to have him. But he made this comment when he was in the Philippines. Uh, if you've heard or ever heard his story about casting the devil out of this girl in Billy Bad Prison, who demons would come and, you know, do grotesque things to her and so forth. And God spoke to him and told him to go down there. It was on the radio because several people died. She prophesied jailers would die and they'd fall over dead. Different thing. It was real spooky and supernatural and superstitious. And the media picked up on it and made it a big thing. It was almost like a carnival. But the Spirit of God spoke to Dr. Summerall at that time. He's a young man then and said, I want you to go down there and cast that thing out of her. So he went and fasted and prayed for a couple of days and went down there, made arrangements to get in there to do that. And when he got to her, she cursed God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and spoke and cursed out the blood of Jesus as if it was a living entity. Interesting. So there we have a natural phenomenon in the earth verifying that that blood is alive and it has power or the devil wouldn't hate it so much. Hallelujah. So we're talking tonight, how far does the blood go? We're talking about the dimensions of the blood in our life. What kind of, what kind of ramifications does that have for us? We've told this before, this particular message, which I have it dated here when I originally wrote this in 96, we were speaking on a Wednesday night, much like tonight. We were teaching not the blood covenant so much, although, of course, the covenant comes out of this blood that's been shed. You understand what I mean. But I was taking some time in 96, many of you were in those services, teaching specifically just specifically and sort of honing it in on just the blood of Jesus, talking about faith in the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? How do I do that? And what will that avail if I have faith in the blood? And what benefits are there in the blood of Jesus and so forth? And I got up and got to do a lot of praying at night the last 10 years or so and uh, I, the Lord woke me up and said, get up. I need you to get up and pray. I got up and went to the living room praying in tongues. I, w I didn't know what about it. I just started praying in tongues because I know I can always do that. And the Holy Ghost, just what I taught you a minute ago, will help me pray the will of God. I prayed for 45 minutes in other tongues, sitting on the couch. And the Lord said to me after 45 minutes, get your pen and paper. I want to talk to you about what you've been teaching about, about my blood. I got something I want to talk to you about. And he said, and so he gave me this message. This came supernaturally, not by study. Most of my messages come by study. And I, I took some paper from the, you know, the counter there and began to write down what he told me. And that's where this blood, this where that message came out of. 
Then later I went back and filled in all the passages of scriptures that went with what he told me because I knew they were in there because he was telling me about revelation concerning the blood. How far does it go? It goes into my past. It takes care of my present. It goes into my future. It goes to heaven. It went to hell once. We'll talk about that tonight if we have time. It, it takes care of my spirit man, which is the real me. It takes care of my soul, my thoughts, my will, my emotions. It takes care of my physical body. It takes care of my travel, your travel. It takes care of you on a freeway. It takes care of you when, 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 when terrorists think that they're bad motor scooters. They don't know anything about this. I told the Bible school class Monday the only way a normal man would leave women and their children and move off to the desert and have millions of dollars in the bank would be a covenant. Men that understand covenant understand that. I understand covenant. But they're not on the right covenant and they're not on the covenant made with the blood of Jesus. And their covenant is out to destroy men. Our covenant is out to walk in the love of God and restore people. But it's still covenant mentality. And that's why the Western world, us, typically over here, the media and half the, half the you know, people in government don't understand why men would do that. Well, they're covenant-minded men. When you're covenant-minded, you, you go all the way with that. It's all the way or nothing with covenant. And that's why they're a threat. They're not a threat to me, but they're a threat to humanity who don't understand that. I'm sold out to this covenant. And this covenant overrides that covenant. <laughs> but you're going to have to be serious about your covenant for it to work. I mean, the Bible says a thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. That's back in Psalm 91. How much more under the new covenant? Book of Hebrews says is better. But you'll have to believe that. You can't just know what's in your Bible. You'll have to believe it and access it by talking about it, thinking about it, meditating and having faith in it and believing that that's for you, not for somebody else. And then we know the New Testament tells us, I'm, I'm in Hebrew still, but it says, Paul said that I will be delivered from every evil work. Well, that would have to include terrorism because that's an evil work. The destruction of men... And property is evil when it don't belong to you or even if it did. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? All right. Let's go to Hebrews 9 now. You, you following me a little? We're talking about the dimensions of the blood. How far does the blood go? I must have looked this word up. I didn't write in here Webster's, but it sounds like it came out of the dictionary. Dimensions out of three coordinates determining a position in space or four coordinates determining a position in time and space the degree to which something extends or the scope of something and all i'm saying in saying that is i'm talking to you tonight about how, what kind of scope are we talking about what kind of dimensions are we talking about when we talk about the blood of jesus it is so far reaching that's what i'm trying to get over it is so deep and so wide and so powerful that the blood of jesus can can do everything jesus can do because it's this covenant, this, this new covenant that's been cut in His blood. Hallelujah. Here in Hebrews 9, let's look at verse 11 and 12 to begin tonight. Uh, but Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, 
Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption, notice this, for us. And what he's talking about here in verse, he's comparing the high priest in the earthly tabernacle and Jesus being the high priest of good things to come, which now have come through this new covenant, once he took his blood into the heavenly holy place and poured it there on the mercy seat. And therefore men could be redeemed and they could become new creatures. Now you remember I said this last week and I'm going to prove it from this verse here. I said when Jesus was on the cross and he said it is finished, he wasn't talking about the plan of redemption. Because you can't have that until this verse 12 is done. And that wasn't done. He was still in his body hanging on the cross dying. So what was he talking about? He was talking about that old covenant's finished now. That all law is done away with now. That lady you were married to under the law, Romans 7 talks about, is dead now. And there's a new covenant coming that you'll have to be joined to. Is anybody listening to me? We're talking about Jesus and here in the plan of redemption. And here's the thing I wanted you to see more than anything, that somehow he took his own blood, verse 12, and he entered in once, once, say once. once. He's not doing that over and over and over and over again. He did that once. Say once. once. You need to get that settled. That Whatever you have in God was already settled back then when God did what he did through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus took his blood up there and poured it on the heavenly mercy seat, then the new creation became available to men and women in this planet. And only then. It wasn't available to them. Nobody in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was saved like we know salvation. They got saved in the sense of looking to a promised Messiah. A promissory note that there's one coming. And as I told you last week, John recognized him. John the Baptist did. When he saw Jesus walking towards him to be baptized, he said, Behold, and this was more of a prophetic revelation from God, from John, that got, he got it. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, listen, that takes away the sin. Not the sins, the sin of the world. He, he took away the sin nature. That thing that was driving man, that spiritual death connection between man and Satan. If you know your Bibles, you know 1 John 3 says that they were children of the devil and children of God. Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, these are the most religious people of the day theologically trained he said you're of your father the devil <laughs> he said some more nastier stuff but I, I won't say that tonight but I'm just trying to show you that people were connected to spiritual death because of what Adam did and their spiritual father then became Lucifer or the devil or Satan same person same personality and Jesus came to redeem us from all that A whole different concept, you know, when you get saved and you don't know this and some preacher don't know this, you just think, well, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, that's great. That's included. That's part of the, the deal. You know, you go buy a car, it's got headlights. It's part of the deal. But it's not the whole deal. It's got brakes, but that's not the whole deal. It's got an engine, but you've got to have a seat to sit in or you couldn't drive the thing. You'd be down like this trying. You couldn't even see out the windshield. It, see, all the components make up the car. All the things that I talk about here make up your redemption. Heaven's just a part of it. But what really took place is you became a new creation of which the devil has no power over now.
either you did or Jesus was a flat failure because they had forgiveness of sins under the Old Testament. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. That was available back in David's day, in Moses' day. We're not putting them down, but their covenant was not anywhere near what our covenant is. I don't think we've grasped the significance of this new covenant in the blood of Jesus. There's never been people on the earth like us until Jesus died and raised from the dead. Never. All that Moses did and all Samuel and Jeremiah, the whole bunch of them. God bless them for what they did do and how they served God and, and different things. But they, they couldn't, this covenant, those covenants they were in couldn't stay in the same room with this covenant. We're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The blood of God. He said he purchased the church, God speaking in Acts 20, with his own blood. I don't even understand that with my brain, but I believe it. I don't even understand how blood flows through our veins, much less the glory. That's coming. You know, I don't have to understand it. I just have to believe it. I wanted you to see, though, in verse 12 again, that he's already obtained eternal redemption for us. You remember when he died on the cross? We bring this up. Maybe this would help. He said, it's finished. That big cloth they had, this big curtain they had between the holy place and the most holy place, which is where God's presence dwelt in this Old Testament. Are you listening to me tonight or, you li- or what? That God's Shekinah glory, they call it, was in that holy place, the most holy place. God, God was in there. His presence was in And you didn't come in there uninvited, unannounced, and without blood. We're going to be pulling you out by your heels. And only the high priest went in once a year. But when God, when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, that temple, in that temple, that big cloth, they say it was four inches thick, solid piece of cloth, 20 foot high and 40 foot long was ripped, split from top to bottom, not bottom to top. I guess a big old angel probably ripped that thing. I don't know. And the glory and the presence of God came out of that place and came to dwell in us. <laughs> we're mobile arcs of the covenant there's an outer court and an inner court and a holy of holies your spirit is the holy of holies for you where God dwells today the, Paul wrote to Corinthians said you are the temple individually and corporately of the spirit of God that's where he dwells now and, we, and to walk around saying I'm just so weak. I'm just so tired. I just can't ever get it done. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Do you see how, that, how pitiful that is to really think like that once we begin to understand what we really are in Christ Jesus? The sad thing is the average believer does have no discrimination between arrogance and faith. I'm not telling you I'm something because my name is Michael Jacobs and I started this church or because I, you know, I'm a pastor or preacher. There's plenty of preachers that are failures and have no revelation of this. I'm talking to you from a standpoint of what I am in Christ Jesus. And you are too. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my gifting in the body as a prophet or anything like that. It has to do with what the Bible says we are. It tells you, I've told you, I've showed you in 2 Corinthians 5 that we ought to not know any more ourselves or one another after the flesh or Jesus after the flesh. 
Peter, James, and John stood there. I bet they were bawling and crying and thinking, there goes our champion. They done killed him. That's not good English, but I bet you that's how they felt on the inside. We know they felt like that because when the ladies, the first one to get revelation, came to the tomb and ran back to tell them, they wouldn't believe them. They just said, it's over, forget it. They were so depressed. That a lady came in there full of fire and power and couldn't even receive from her. And then later Jesus showed up and he rebuked them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. <laughs> I mean, he had some faith in those old boys, I tell you. They sure didn't seem like he had a whole lot going on. Walk with him for three and a half years and still not full of fear, doubt, and unbelief, hiding out in a room till the Holy Ghost hit them, till they became new creations. Then little mealy mouth Peter's out on the street preaching. This is that <laughs> which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And said they were pricked in their hearts. He said, you ought to repent and get saved and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Wow. Something happened to that old boy. I think he got some revelation. This hadn't been written yet, Hebrews, but I think he figured out something happened to him when the Holy Ghost got on him. And he spoke in other tongues. And he got reborn and then filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you listening to me? Same Holy Ghost gets you born again that gets you filled, but it's two separate operations. It could happen at the same time if it was taught correctly and people would receive for that. But because people haven't been taught that, they don't receive. You can't receive what you don't know. You can't know what you haven't been taught. And you can't hear without a preacher. <laughs> Romans ten fourteen says so. What a value there is in the preachers that preach truth. But here's what I want. I'm going to move on, but I want you to see this for the last time. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's eternal. In other words, whatever we're receiving from God today, it's already, it's already marked out with your name on it. Can I say it that way? Your redemption includes everything you need. Let me say it to you this way. This would be simple. Everything you need to live victoriously. Everything you need by way of provisionally. Everything you need for your future. Everything you need for now. Everything you need by way of intelligence and wisdom and revelation from the Word and the help of the Holy Ghost. And all of that has been deposited in your name waiting for you to claim it and receive it. It's eternal. It's, you're redeemed. You're, you are redeemed, whether you ever acknowledge it or... I know you do acknowledge it, but I mean, we've got to start waking up. I'm redeemed. The devil is absolutely defeated when it comes to me and you. If that's not true, then Jesus failed. <laughs> the only fight you have right now is the good fight of faith in believing what I'm teaching. Not because I'm teaching it, because it's the word. That's the fight you've got to fight. Your brain, your carnal mind says, oh, that couldn't be. You just don't know me. No, I don't know you, but I know him. <laughs> and that's the one you've got to know after the Spirit. And then identify with that. Well, I could never. Well, I guess you won't. Because you said you can't. But that doesn't mean it's not available. For those that will and say they can. Somebody said one time those that say they can't and those that say they can are both right. Because Jesus said you can have what you say if you believe and doubt not. And of course we're not talking about just making up stuff. We're talking about saying what God has already said. 
I say I hear from heaven. I say I hear from God. Not because I'm some super duper anything, but because I believe the scripture. That I'm his sheep and I hear his voice and I follow him and not the voice of a stranger. Not only do I hear from him, I don't follow goofy people. There's a word full of them, world full of them, especially in the church. Christian bookstores are riddled with that. Erroneous teaching sometimes. Men who teach against the scriptures. Are you listening? Eternal redemption for us. Say for me. Man, he loves you. He is so committed to you. Michael, he is so committed to you. He's got your future all planned out, son. You may not understand it all yet, and I may not be walking in all that he has for me, but I'm moving towards it. I'm moving all the time further and further in that plan. Larry, all of us are, that are willing to go with him and flow with him and pay the price to not pay the price that we got to do something, but pay the price to get in the Word and believe it and quit stumbling around when we find something that seems hard to believe. Well, maybe that's just a thing you need to be believing. <laughs> Thank you, Suzanne. I think she got it. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3, shall we? Are you learning anything with me? Talking tonight, how far, how far does the blood go? My goodness. Romans 3, and I would like to start in verse 24. I'm going to back up a little bit from what I had written down here because I'd like you to see something. Being justified... Or we would, the word is made righteous, being made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption or the deliverance or the freedom that's in the anointed Jesus. I've just translated that verse for you. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Or we would say it could be translated a mercy seat. And it could, there's some other things this word propitiation means, but a mercy seat, God set forth Jesus and his blood to be a mercy seat through faith in his blood. Through Notice that term, and I'd underline that, through faith in his blood. Say this with me. I have faith in Jesus' blood. I do too. I just believe it. I mean, people don't believe it sometimes, but I believe it. You know, people say, well, you know, they'll say stuff like this. Now, listen to me carefully. They say, well, I was just an old, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. The whole chapter that I'm in right now, I don't have time to read the whole chapter. The whole chapter, the whole chapter. There's only like one or two verses in there that talks about falling short of the glory. But I taught you this a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 2. We've been lifted back up into the glory now. Not only that, I read it a minute ago in the verse I was in. That about the saints, he's not talking about a marble statue in front of a church, Saint so-and-so. He's talking about Saint Stan, Saint Judith, by the blood of Jesus, Saint John, this John. <laughs> Saint Glenna. I'd never heard of her before, but God bless you, Glenna. We're, we're, we were sinners. That'd be okay to say. We were, keep it in the past tense. And I got saved by grace, and now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now see, that concept right there puts people over in Victoryville. 
And that misconception of saying that wrongly and thinking that wrongly, keeping everything in the, you know, I, I'm, I am just an old sinner. Say, back, well, then your prayers won't avail much because the Bible says have to be righteous to do that. So you might as well quit praying. That wipes out your prayer life. I didn't say we couldn't learn how to pray better if we'd get taught right. But see, you're not, you're either righteous or you're not righteous. It's not like I'm part righteous and I'm part unrighteous, you know. No, this says that you, we just read it here. Uh, verse 24, being made righteous freely, justified, same thing. I've been justified. In the old, we all used to say this in this church I went to, just as if I'd never sinned. But none of us ever believed that. We didn't act like it. We were still old sinners saved by grace. We were still old sinners Always thinking about what we did, how guilty we were, and what, all the trash we'd been in, and all the ways we'd thought wrong, and all the ways we'd done wrong, all the ways we, our conduct was wrong. I, we all know that. But you're identifying with the wrong thing now, given the fact I just showed you eternal redemption's available for you. When you're in redemption, you're over here on this side of the ledger now, living and thinking and conducting your life. And if you'll start believing it, all the other stuff that you're having problems with will begin to fade away. It'll have no authority over you. Well, I'm just fighting sin. I don't know why Jesus beat the hell out of it. He beat it to death. Sin has no authority over you. Unless you let it. I mean, I've, how many times do I have to quote this verse? Give no place to the devil. So that means that I don't have to give place to him. And if I won't give him a place, he won't have a place, Frank. And if he don't have a place, he don't have any authority over me. Now, either Paul lied about that too, and we're in a world of hurt tonight if all these guys are lying to us. Jesus either did what he did or he didn't. I believe he did what he said he did. I believe that these are inspired scriptures and the Bible says that we've now been redeemed through the anointed Jesus. Redemption is an accomplished fact. And the key is, verse 25 again, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness, not mine but his, that's going to become mine through the new birth, you understand. But it's His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Say past. Now you know people say stuff like this. They say this in Isaiah. You know, I don't need to take you there. It says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm not talking about my righteousness. I'm not talking about your righteousness. I'm talking about His righteousness that He gave you. Actually, He did more. He made you that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Him who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made, we didn't earn, that we might earn, no, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. See, I'm over in these church letters. You beginning to catch on? I'm not making fun of the rest of the scriptures. I'm trying to elaborate the ones that are for us today and why it's so important to get the tenses right. T-E-N-S-E-S. Tenses, the tenses, past, present, future. What am I right now? What has he made me to be now? 
I'm a new creature. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I am the righteousness of God. Not going to be, I am. Hallelujah. How far does the blood go? Well, here's a clue that we just read. We went over, and I'm going to come back to it here. But I wanted you to see it's for faith, and through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission, not the forgiveness. Notice that. The remission of sins that are past. Your past is your past. And the blood wiped it out. Yeah, but I knew you, Pastor Jacobs, when you were a drug addict. No, you knew a guy named Michael Jacobs that used to be a drug addict. I'm Michael Jacobs, the redeemed of the Lord today, thank you. I'm Michael Jacobs, the partaker of the divine nature today, thank you. I'm Michael Jacobs that's been made righteous through the blood of the Lamb, and I believe it, thank you. I'm not identifying with that Michael Jacobs. He's dead. Paul said that guy died. I mean, how could Paul say, I mean, really, Paul, think about it. How could he say when he wrote the Corinthians later, I've wronged no man? He tortured Christians. He, he put them to death. He held the coats of those who did it. He consented and it was in agreement with it. He may have chucked the stone on the side. And he thought he was doing God a favor. But later he would write, I have wronged no man. How could he say? Because he realized that he has become a new creation and his sins of the past are gone. <laughs> Gosh. What drug addict? What drug addict? I'm high, okay. I'm higher than a Georgia pine tonight on the most high. I'm drinking some of that new wine. My goodness. So the blood reaches back into my past. Here we go. Listen. It reaches all, that blood, his blood, reaches all the way back to Adam. <laughs> we know that men from Adam on that believed in one that would come had a promissory note. And they had to go down into the bowels of the earth at that time, like we found out from Luke's account, remember, just stay with me in your thinking, in a place called Abraham's bosom because heaven wasn't available for men. Because heaven had been marred through Adam's transgression, Hebrews 9 again tells us that the heavenly utensils had to be cleansed. Well, why would they have had to have been cleansed? It was heaven. Because man's authority reached all the way up into, not including the throne, but up into heaven. And that place was messed up. <laughs> I don't know why nobody ever taught this when I was a kid, but they didn't know it, I guess. It's right there in the Bible all the time. Rag I was wagging around one of those King James when I was a kid, but never read it. I think that's true of a lot of people. Not in a church like this, but just typical Christians never read their Bible, believe in what somebody wrote in a fancy book at a Christian bookstore that don't know what they're talking about. But all of those down in the pit, all those down in Abraham's bosom, rather, they were protected. They weren't in torment, but they had to wait. Did you ever wonder why it said in Peter that Jesus went and preached to the spirits that were in prison? After he redeemed, after he uh, paid the price, rather, for man's redemption, 
he went over there and preached to them. Because, you know, they kept coming down there. Moses came down and he said, hey, I prophesied there's one coming. He's supposed to be a prophet like I was. And then David came down there and said, I prophesied in the Psalms that thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. And one day he looked up and says, here he is. It's the Messiah. Come stomping in that room, said, boys and girls, we're all going home in a few days. Hang on. <laughs> going to heaven. We'll take you all up there. Thank you for waiting on me. Thank you for believing in me. When you, well, all you had was the scriptures. But I'm getting ready to go up there, take my blood into that heavenly holy of holies. I'm going to cleanse it all for you. And I'll be back. We'll go together. You know that big cloud went up with him? What do you think that was? Smoke from GE? I don't think so. <laughs> cloud of witnesses going up with him. All those saints. That they are all. Don't you think they had a party going into heaven? They had a party that day down in hell. In that part of hell. There was two compartments in hell if you know your Bible. One where they were tormented. One where they were kept safe and comforted. This blood reached down into hell even. <laughs> My goodness. Can you see that? My, 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 my. I shed my blood. And I'm going to take it up to heaven in just a little bit here. Just came down to say hi and preach to you a little bit. I'm here. It's a done deal now. The real deal is going to begin. I know you've been comforted, but I'm going to take you to a better place called heaven. Called paradise. This was Abraham's bosom. That's been nice, but I'm taking you to paradise. Shoo! My goodness. How far does that blood go? It goes all the way back to Adam, goes all the way down to hell, and of course it went all the way up into heaven. <laughs> my, my, my. Let's go to Hebrews 9. I'm going to read this because I say a lot of things and I don't know, maybe everybody. Doesn't know where that's at, even though I mention it. So let's look at it a minute. We, what have I just been talking about here? Hebrews 9, you with me? 9.22, well, let me back up a little bit. You know, talking about Moses. So see, the book of Hebrews, always understand, when you see a truth in it, if you read around it, you'll find out he's comparing what happened under the Old Testament versus what's happening right now with Jesus and this new covenant. And really, covenant's a better word than testament, but you understand what I mean. So he says, he's, re, he's talking about here in verse 20 about Moses. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant which God hath enjoined unto you, or joined you together with him in. He's talking about the blood that he had back then of a goat. In verse 19, he talks about the blood of goats and stuff. Moreover, verse 21, he sprinkled with blood, Moses did, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood or cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary, verse 23, that the patterns of things in the heavens, not the, not the, heaven, not the things in heaven themselves, but the pattern of those things, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which we would say 
he's not entered into the earthly one, which are the figures of the true, which would be what? The heavenly things. But into heaven itself now, say now, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Are you seeing this? And don't you know when you got saved, you got sprinkled with that blood too. (laughs) All the vessels of the ministry. Here are these vessels in this new covenant. Paul, Paul alluded to it in Timothy, be a vessel of honor. Use that blood frequently. Plead the blood. Plead the blood. Use the blood. Cleanse yourself with the blood. I don't mean you can cleanse, but you say I'm cleansed by the blood. That's what I mean when I say use it. It's available. It's available. Don't don't let it just sit there. Don't let it just sit there. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, speak about it. Talk about it. Say something about it. Get in agreement. It's talking for you up there. Get talking down here about it. Heaven's always, heaven's always had healing available for men on this planet. When men woke up to it in whatever covenant they were in and started talking about it, immediately it becomes available. <laughs> I mean, that goes all the way back. Abraham knew that. Abraham was a liar at one time. You know, he lied about his wife. And King, King Doodad there, Abimelech, whatever, thought his wife was a sharp looker. You know, God had revamped her. I don't know what he did to her, but she's sure sharper. Sharp looking girl, because this king could have had anybody he wanted. And he wanted her. And God woke him in a dream and said, don't touch her, I'll kill you. She belongs to that prophet. And the Bible says he went and said, here's some sheep and some cattle. Your wife, hey, take her. Take some gold. Take some silver. Here's some camels. Here's some other stuff. Hey. <laughs> and he said, uh, said, Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech's wife and all the maidservants that couldn't have children because the wombs had been closed because of Abraham, Sarah's wife. When a man woke up, this Abimelech woke up to the reality God was dealing with him through a dream and asked the man of God who understood healing to pray, it happened. Job woke up finally. He lied about God. We already talked about this Sunday. He lied about God too. And finally in chapter 42, he wakes up, so to speak, spiritually speaking. Doesn't the New Testament in Ephesians say, Awake thou that sleepest, and the light will shine on you. I told you about going to pray for a guy the other day. Bless his darling heart and messed up mine. Goes to church all the time. Said, well, the Lord won't put more on me than I can handle. That didn't have anything to do with sickness and disease. (laughs) I prayed for him anyway. I had faith, and God blessed him and helped him. <laughs> you know, someday, somewhere down through here, men and women, all of us, got, if we're acting stupid about those scriptures, we've got to say, God, I don't know what I'm talking about. Please help me. Send somebody into my life or put me in the right church. I've got to grow up. <laughs> Get me under the right spiritual father. My goodness, where have I been? Awake thou that sleepest. Well, Job finally woke up and he said, Lord, I said things about you that I knew not. <laughs> now I see. He said, you got that right. And his buddies came and said, listen, you better go get him to pray for you because if he doesn't, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> to Job, you know, to tell the buddies to go to Job. Job prayed for him and what the Bible says, God turned their captivity. 
blessed them and turned Job's captivity when he prayed for his friend. See, when, he, healing's always been available. Deliverance has always been of all these things, many of these, these things we talk about today, but we got to get an agreement. I'm talking to you about the blood. If it's there speaking, get an agreement down here. What did Jesus say? What did he say? He said, if you will bind something in this planet, it'll be bound in the spirit. He said heaven, but same thing. If you lose something here in the earth, that's where we're at, It'll be loosed. If any two would agree as touching anything they shall ask in the earth, as here, my Father will do it in heaven. See, we got a part to play in this. This isn't automatic just because I'm showing you this, that I'm trying to show you this so we can understand how far does the blood go? Oh, man, it goes wherever you want it to go. Yeah, but you just don't understand. No, you don't understand that the blood will take care of that in your life. You're telling me a burnout drug addict with half a brain, fried eggs, fried potatoes, whatever you want to call me, no memory, half my brain sizzled out with dope, and God restored me, that he can't restore people through his blood? A body that was all beat up from shooting dope, lost 60, 70 pounds, looked like a skeleton, later found out I'd had hepatitis and didn't even know it. From a dirty drug needle. Most people die. My mom was praying. Finally I caught on. That God loved me. God wanted me. I didn't know this back then. But I knew something was happening with me. I started believing he could clean me up. How far does the blood go? Well I don't know. I don't know that old guy. He's dead and gone. That old Michael Jacobs used to live up in Ohio. Deal drugs and act like a fool and carry a gun and be wild and crazy and all the other stuff I was into. That guy died. He died at East Dayton Baptist Church at the altar, December 1971. I I thought I saw him a few times since then, but I just made him leave. My mind didn't get renewed. I had to do that moment by moment and day by day, just like everybody else does. My body didn't get saved then. I still had the same desires in my flesh, but my spirit was not the same, and I didn't want to live the way I'd been living. All of a sudden, there was a different motivation on the inside of me. Put the blood on things in your life. Let that blood wipe out your past. Let it reach into the every area of your life. And here I'm trying to show you that Jesus' blood cleansed that heavenly place, cleansed that holy place, went up in there and did everything it's supposed to do to restore heaven. And it's there for us. That's what it says all through here. Eternal redemption for us. To appear in the presence of God for us. For us. The blood, the blood of Jesus, having faith in it, having faith in it. You have faith in it tonight? I do. I'm going to have to quit here in a second, but let's look at maybe one more scripture. Let's go to 1 John. This is a wonderful scripture. 1 John chapter 1, 
And I'm going to close with this over here, I think. But let's, let me get, move back a little bit in this here. This is talking here. First, let's begin in verse 6. If we say, 1 John 1 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So this is, we've got to do what we say we're doing. We can't say, well, I'm fellowshipping with God and then we're doing things that are in darkness. But then he says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, or we would say really because the word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, and the entrance of his words giveth light, that we would say if we walk in the word as he is in the word, we have fellowship one with another, that's between us and God and us and Jesus, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, from all sin. And the word cleanseth in the Greek is in this ongoing verb type thing, which means it ongoingly cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, that's talking about if we're walking in the darkness. That's referring back to walking in the darkness. But now we don't have to walk in the darkness. And if we've got a problem in our life in some area where the darkness, we keep wanting to be enticed into darkness we need to put the blood on that that's what i'm saying to you tonight plead the blood against that and it may not be something real dramatic it may just be something simple but maybe you're spending too much time doing that too much time thinking about that and it's not the right kind of thinking or it's not the right kind of doing plead the blood against that i plead the blood against that in my mind. I, I speak the blood over that in my life. My, I, I put the blood on that. I, I'm cleansed by the blood and I'm going to hold the blood on that. You got something that doesn't want to work right in your body? Plead the blood over it. You can speak to it too in the name of Jesus, but I'm applying the blood to that in my body. I apply the blood to that, whatever that is. So he says, if we say that we have no sin, that is if we're walking in darkness. That's what that's referring to. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But here's the thing. If we do have sin, if there's something in our life we need to be cleansed of, verse 9 is the key. If we confess our sins. Now you realize this is written to believers. This is not talking about an unbeliever that's coming to Jesus and said, now you've got to name everything that you've ever done. That's not scriptural. We come to Jesus based on one thing alone. I believe he died on the cross and I repent of what? Everything. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to list them all. This is talking about a believer that's learning to what? Walk in the light. You can walk in the light. I'm not accusing you that you haven't, but listen, you can walk in the light. And if you could walk in the light, and Scripture says we could, if we walk in the light then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus continually, ongoingly cleanses me from all sin. And if I didn't have sin, there'd be no way for the devil to put anything on me. There'd be no way for him to oppress me because I could rebuke him and he'd have to go because I submit myself to God, resist the devil, and he has to flee. Stan, I'm really preaching good to you tonight. 
Are you getting this with me? If, if we can, now here, if we got some area of our life and we know we've been wrong, maybe a bad attitude, bad motive, or some practice that we've done, some habit that's not right, if we confess our sins, look at this, He is faithful, I'm 1 John 1, 9, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, this is after we're born again, now we're getting forgiven, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, what happens is He cleanses us and forgives us and He restores to us our sense of righteousness. You remember the guy? I think it's in Luke 15 or 16. Actually, there's two, two gentlemen, two sons of a father. And they said, give us our inheritance. The one said, I want my stuff right now. Well, he was immature and full of himself and full of lust, and he went off and spent it all with his friends snorting cocaine and running around in bars. And ended up, you know, ended up stocking the beer in the back room at the bar. And he said, oh, I got these peanuts on the, on the table here to eat. I'm modernizing it a little, but it's pretty good. And I'm sure my daddy, if I went home and repented, he'd let me be a servant back on that big farm. And then he's got, he's got cattle to eat. That means some prime rib. I'm getting tired of eating these peanuts. These beer nuts. <laughs> and he starts back home, and his dad just sees him coming. The Bible says a, a far way off. I mean, he's, he's just barely in sight where his dad recognizes, that's my boy. And you hear modern churches today teach it like, and God's going to go like this. You're just going to have to get yourself up here and repent. He's running. That's my boy. Hey, son. Hey. And he grabs him and kisses him and hugs him. He don't care. I mean, he's kissing all over that boy. You know, he just flung all over him. And one of the first things he says is bring the best robe and put it on him. That's that robe of righteousness. Psh. Get that ring on his finger that says he's part of this family. It's got the royal crest on it. He can go buy and sell any place he wants to. Put those shoes on his feet. Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have prime rib sure enough. And the boy said, oh, I couldn't do that. No, he got right in there and said, hey, thanks, Dad. When's dinner? <laughs> And then the religious people showed up. The elder brother. The wise one, you know. What's all the noise about? Heard him dancing up there. Dancing up at church. Aha! I heard music and dancing and said, your brother's come home. He has. He said, why don't you go in and join the party? Nope. Ain't going to do it. I didn't earn it. <laughs> He's out there working all the time. You see this? You see this two, two ways of thinking? And finally, he does come in and says, Dad, you didn't do this for me. He said, Son, everything I have is yours. If you wanted a calf, you wouldn't have slaughtered one. Eat it. Fight your friends over. Have a party. Dance. See, that's the difference in religion and what we're talking about. 
And even though the boy was wrong and been out doing wrong, the minute he headed back home, man, the father was right there to forgive him and cleanse him and restore all the authority back. Are you getting this? How far does the blood go? I mean, it's just I can't even say how far it goes. I can't even say how far. Your father wants to take care of you. He's not mad at you. If you've done something wrong, confess it, forget it, and go on. That becomes your past then. And verse 9, remember, says he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Well, if you're cleansed by him, you're cleansed. Now, I know people, they're mean. Church people are mean. And they remember everything you ever said and did. And sometimes they try to remind you that. But you just remember what I'm telling you. Jesus will forgive you and cleanse you. And he'll forget it. He'll forget it. I said one time to him, you remember that time? He said, what are you talking about? And I said, what do you mean what am I talking about? He said, I thought you asked me to forgive you that and cleanse you. I said, well, I did. He said, well, then I'd appreciate it if you'd act like I did it. Doing. Yeah. I insulted him. I dishonored him by saying, well, he, when I prayed about it, I was ever so sincere. But then I wanted to beat myself up a little more to feel more justified that now I was going to be able to go on. And he was irritated with me about it. He wasn't too friendly about it. He just said, well, I thought you had, you know, he was sort of ticked off a little bit. Like, wake up, Michael, wake up, will you? You act like it don't mean anything. I shed my blood to give you this availability to do this. Now act like it. I said, okay, I'm not guilty. What do you want me to pray about? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? He said, that's a boy, get him. Say, that's a boy. <laughs> get him. <laughs> See, that's a girl. He, I mean, he wants you to get on with your life. Did you get anything out of this tonight?